Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing, now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. So uh, I, Zach and I went to, when traveled and went to a conference and we heard that So Will I song and we both thought that it sounded like Tamra and it sounded like us. And so I have been uh, anticipating hearing her do that and in fact all of the worship songs today seem to kind of strike a chord with me so if I, if I seem a little misty today it's because, man, um, it's good to be here and this passage of scripture is no different. I am... I am taken with this passage, and probably, probably, you'll hear me say at some point, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, like so many. Um, We are in the midst of a sermon series that is week five in the season of Lent, and we are in the midst of a sermon series that it's entitled Character Sketches. The Lenten season is a season where we look at ourselves and we look at this Jesus character and we confess the difference in the hopes of closing, narrowing the gap. But it is more than that. And in fact, I would say, if that is all it is for you, perhaps you and I, we are not getting all that we need to get out of the season of Lent. So let me ask you another Lenten sort of question that will maybe get closer to what it is that we're really trying to do in the season of Lent. What is it that God's preparing you for? What's next? What, what is God preparing you for? Now, John, do you mean in my spiritual life? <laughs> sure. I just happen to think that everything's spiritual. What, what is God shaping you for? You, you do remember, right, that the Lenten season is in so many ways based on the season of temptation that Christ underwent. Remember this, out in the wilderness. But we kind of know, we kind of know looking at that, and Jesus is quick to tell us that there's, okay, there are these temptations, and yes, I have to weather these storms of temptation, but it's because I'm being prepared for something more or something else. I I would remind you that, that Easter is on the way, and that the Easter season is important around here. And we believe what we say when we say we are the people who don't live just or merely in the shadow of the cross, but we are people who live in the light and by the light of the resurrection, which is a very different way to be alive than just living in the shadow of the cross. And the Lenten season is meant to prepare you, prepare me, prepare us 
to live resurrection lives. Really didn't like that very much? Okay, all right, let's try this again. The Lenten season is meant to prepare us for the victory of the resurrection that can be in and through you, in and through me, in and through us, not only announced resurrection life, but implemented. Keep in mind, as we have these discussions, that we are not the people who believe that the ultimate hope of God is to take all of the good people out of creation and let the rest of it kind of all literally go to hell. We are the people who believe that God will finish what God started, and God started by saying that creation is? Okay, so you know this. And we believe, we believe that God will finish what God started here. And it will be people who live in the light and by the light of the resurrection who will be a part of the process whereby God not only announces but implements a new way to be alive, a new process, so long as, so long as we don't get stuck on our own past. Uh, it is about to be graduation season for our high school students, and some of you I know are about to, high, about to graduate from high school. Please don't be the people who are stuck in high school. Please, please don't be the people who are stuck in high school and who never quite get bigger than their best day in high school. Now, you can have some really good days in high school, amen, right? But if you aren't ever bigger than your best day in high school, you're not doing it quite right, right? Hi, I'm Rob Lowe, and I have DirecTV. And I'm peaked in high school, Rob Lowe, and I have cable. Direct TV is wireless, so you can put your TVs anywhere without having to look at those ugly wires and boxes in every room. Cable isn't wireless, but you just gotta put something in front of them. I'm still in awe of how great my TVs look, and I'm still captain of the team. Don't be like this me. Get rid of cable and upgrade to Direct TV. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Now this is unscientific, but I have some thoughts here that I've recorded about people who wear their letter jackets after high school, right? Totally unscientific. <laughs> and please direct any uh, critiques to Walt Crow. At, uh... <laughs> but here's just kinda, again, unscientific. If you're still wearing your letter jacket in your 20s, it's just a little sad. And, and we as a church will check on you from time to time. Like, how are you doing? If you're wearing your letter jacket in the 30s, then something has happened to you. Something really bad has happened, or perhaps worse, worse nothing has happened. <laughs> nothing at all, not since graduation. We are very concerned about you, and we are currently checking to see if you have uh, therapy included on your health insurance. If you're wearing your letter jacket in your 40s, red alert, this person's not living in the real world, perhaps shouldn't be trusted with the modern phone or the opportunity to vote. <laughs> You are hereby on neighborhood watch lists. If you're wearing your letter jacket in the 50s, someone call the police. Unless, of course, you're wearing your letter jacket to a costume party, and if and when that's the case, carry on, well done. If that's not the case, and you're still wearing your letter jacket, you're the reason we have locks on doors now, and you're a monster. <laughs> now, something changes, I feel like, right about there, but if you were in your 60s and wearing your letter jacket, I think we can call that playful acceptable, even fashionable. And if in your 70s and your 80s or your 90s, Ron Wheeler, and you're wearing your letter jacket, very hip, very chic, very hip, a leader of people, a leader of people. 
we uh, do a lot around here to remember. That's an important thing. We've been saying it the entirety of the Lenten season. Remembering is important. This is the guy, George Santayana, who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Remembering is a good thing. It's the right thing. It's a healthy thing. Remembering is the good thing, is a good thing, so long as you remember the right things. Now, yes, we have, throughout the season of Lent, we have been uh, talking a lot about remembering. If you'll remember, on the night uh, that we kicked all this off, Ash Wednesday, we actually said to you, remember that you are dust. Remember. And then God can do something with that memory, because God does great things with dust, actually. A wandering Aramean was the next Sunday. A wandering Aramean. And, and we're told to remember where we came from. Remember where you came from, remember that God did something to you and for you to allow you to have the life that you have. Genesis 15, we are told to remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God, and you know what? God went to great lengths to help us to remember the promises of God. Isaiah 55, come to the waters, come to the table, remember that God's thoughts are not as your thoughts. This God continues to forgive and choose us. Joshua 5, 9 through 12, last week. Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt and even as far as going to making a monument. Make a monument so that when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You can say to them, well, here's a story we have to remember. Here's a story we have to remember. And so we get to the fifth Sunday in Lent and this is the line that is the, the central core line we're told to remember, we're asked to remember. God facilitates memory only to get us to this Sunday in Lent and God says, now don't remember the former things or consider the things of old. What in the world, God? You spend weeks not only telling us to remember but helping us to remember only to get us to this week to tell us Maybe loosen your grip on that memory? Here's what I think. I think God has in mind that he does not want us to be peaked in high school Rob Lowe. And religious people have real danger here. Religious people can so orient to the past that they aren't willing to allow God to do something new to their church in their hearts in the circles of Christianity. Here's the thing. Remember? Yes. Remember, remember, remember. All of those directions and directives and all of those monuments still stand. We are to remember God who does something new all the time. But if we limit our memories to those snapshots, our best days, in high school, with the letter jackets. If we're just remembering the scenes, the sights, our best days, and forgetting the God behind all the newness, all the winning, if we forget God, then we're not doing it right. 
And apparently, God recognizes something in these religious people, these Israelites. Apparently, they do have this deep capacity to lock in on what was and miss the point at the same time. I would submit that Christians, and I'm including myself in that label, you're welcome, I am a Christian, yeah. I would submit to you that Christians to this day have trouble allowing the past to serve the function that it's supposed to serve, which is to prepare you for what God will do next. We remember yesterday in service of God's tomorrow. Does that make sense? We're not doing it right where Christians are concerned if we just remember yesterday, period. But we remember yesterday in order to be shaped for God's tomorrow. Does that make some sense? We're in Isaiah 43, which uh, most everybody will tell you is in Isaiah part two or Isaiah book two. It may not say that in your Bible, but we, we have this deep sense now that Isaiah is at least two books and probably three books. And what we have today is in Isaiah two. It is a different author. We think that's pretty clear than the first 39 chapters. We think starting in chapter 40, you have a different author because you have a different voice, you have a different scope, and you have a different historical context. And here's the historical context in Isaiah two. The people of God have been absolutely routed by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, that whole crowd, just routed and carried off from Jerusalem. The temple has been ransacked. The wall has been broken down. This entire society has just been absolutely devastated. They've been forced to live other places along these other uh, rivers and different foreign places and forced to be the people of God there if they can. They are suffering the consequences they're suffering the consequences for having forgotten God and their own identity as the people of God. That's one of the ways to describe what exile is. Exile is what happens when the people of God forget God <laughs> and wander into oncoming traffic. In one sense, it was the Assyrians. In another sense, it was the Babylonians. And it's somebody today. We can't forget. God, though, in chapter 40 says, okay, enough is enough. And God says in chapter 40 that kicks off Isaiah 2, let's say, the second book of Isaiah, God says, all right, enough of the exile, enough of the punishment. Let's get back to what we have. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double, double for all her sins. Verse 8, very important verse around here, especially back in our word and table congregation. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If only we would continue to listen. And then you eventually move into chapters 42 through 44, and our passage is found in the midst of 42 to 44, and you have this interesting conversation, this interesting uh, layout, really, of these different passages that make up the run of 42 to 44. And in some of these verses, God is still angry. God is saying to the people, 
that he has just said, okay, we're about to rekindle our relationship. We're about to put together this society again. But some places here in 42, 43, 44, God says, I'm still burnt. You seem to forget who sent you into exile. It's not that (laughs) our sins don't matter anymore. They still matter. But God still chooses. And so you have there at the beginning, the verse of chapter 43. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Even in the language there, it seems like God is directing their attention back to a story. It seems like God is always directing the people's attention backwards, telling them, remember. And most of the time, God is saying to them, remember the Exodus. Man, you don't have to go to the New Testament to find a good gospel story. There's a good gospel story in the Old Testament called the Exodus where God fights for God's people and wins liberation, wins a victory, wrestles to the ground this competing God that kept our people in captivity, wrestles that God to the ground known as Pharaoh, and releases our people to be something other than slaves in Egypt. And sure enough, the people are more than willing to remember that story. More than willing to remember that day, that victory. More than willing to tell those stories. But still in the process of remembering, they had the capacity to forget the God behind that story. And so God approaches them again in chapter 43. And this is why God says this, starting in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now watch how God God directs their attention back to this Exodus event. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. I think God's doing this on purpose. God is saying, remember, remember what I could do? Remember what I did? Remember how there was no one big enough to stop what I wanted to have happen in the world? Remember, remember, remember? And all at once, God says, okay, stop remembering that. Do not remember the former things. Or consider the things of old. Because, you religious people, here's what you want to do. You kind of want to just build a tent way back when, right there. And you just want to stay there. I mean, you can't get mad at me. You can get mad at Isaiah, I guess, and maybe even God. But God says sometimes... We are so oriented to the past that we're not oriented enough to God's future. Rob Lowe, come on. 
Shed the leather jacket, buddy. Cut that hair. Sheesh. You are perhaps underemployed, Rob. Underemployed. You know the difference, right? Not maximizing who you've been formed to be. There is more out there for you. Are we having a discussion now about personal maximization? Are we talking about reaching your full potential? Yeah, I think so. But against a larger backdrop, which is this, God is trying to do something big in the world, and you really can be a part of it if you will step into today and tomorrow with God and get out of yesterday. I'm about to do a new thing. And now it springs forth. Can you really not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Man, there's specific, specific speech going on here. Let me, let me tell you kind of what's going on. So the Babylonians routed the Israelites and carried off the people of God into exile, slavery, captivity. And in those places, the people of God sort of got comfortable. Comfortable in captivity. Comfortable with an easier life <laughs> that was less than the adventurous, harder life that God had in mind for the people of God who would put skin and flesh on the purposes of God and the character of God. And so God, I love the way that the prophets talk about this, God seems to have made use of another king and kingdom, Cyrus, king of Persia. And the Persians came along and just wiped out the Babylonian army. Wiped out the Babylonian army and made it possible at least for the people of God to move home. Made it possible. And there were some who were up for that challenge and that was going to be a difficult journey. Like the terrain that they would have to walk to get home was tough terrain. I mean, mountains and valleys and wild animals, like the dreaded wild ostrich, which is in there somewhere. The biggest problem, though, was not the ostrich or the wild animals. It was it was a memory that was so locked into what was that they were satisfied to stay there in yesterday. And they lacked the courage or the imagination to move with God into God's future. Much bigger obstacle than the ostrich. To this day, a much bigger obstacle than the ostrich for the people of God is, is, the person of God or the people of God who aren't quite imaginative enough and maybe not courageous enough to trust that God, that God's future is worth living into. Klaus Westermann says it like this. Israel requires to be shaken out of a faith that has nothing to learn about God's activity and therefore nothing to learn about what is possible. The great danger which threatens any faith that is hidebound in dogmatism, faith that has ceased to be able to expect anything really new 
from God. You know what? I, I'm, we're going to read that again. And I want you to measure whether or not this is about us or any one of us. Israel requires to be shaken out of a faith that has nothing to learn about God's activity. Are you still learning about God's activity? Or is faith for you finally just an issue of behavior modification? So long as you're not doing the bad thing, you feel like you've kind of punched your ticket? So my eternity is cared for, so I don't really have to worry about poverty, division, violence, ugliness of any kind. It's fine. I'm going to heaven. (laughs) Except that this God seems to have a real serious interest in today and here and now and earth. So much so that God seems to indicate that there is this possibility of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Show me the Christian who is satisfied just to be good and kind and not do bad things because he or she is trying to stay safely within the boundaries of what it is that qualifies one for the hereafter. Show me that Christian and I will show you someone who is not yet qualified for the hereafter. Because God has in mind that we would help God do what God wants to do not just on Sundays. The great danger with threatens any faith is that faith is that hidebound in dogmatism, faith that has ceased to be able to expect anything really new from God. God's saying, look, it's not just about Exodus. It's also about creation. You have this very interesting thing that pops up time and again in 2nd Isaiah. Yes, you have lots of, of nods toward the Exodus, but you have also lots of nods toward creation. And God seems to be saying to them, look, yep, I'm the guy who did the whole Exodus thing, but I'm also the God who created. And by the way, I'd like to create again if you'll pay attention. The wild animals will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, there they are again. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. For the individual hearer, you and I are on journeys of faith. And we have had certain experiences with God in the past. And they are good. Salvation stories, conversion stories, sanctification stories, experiences with God. But really, really, what matters now is what God will do with those stories in service of God's today and tomorrow. Our lives of faith cannot be limited to our own experiences. What is the larger thing that God is doing, perhaps in and through you? And are we so oriented to our past that we've missed the larger player in the larger drama? Is it time to loosen my grip on my own cherished past? Even my religious 
my religious past so that I can make room then for the larger, greater, deeper thing that God is desiring to do in my life, our lives, and in our collected imagination. Another way to say it is, are we open to the newness that exists in God's imagination already? Got myself a copy of the Oklahoman, the newspaper. That's the newspaper. Young people, this is a newspaper. And the Oklahoman, the newspaper, is a very interesting conversation, let's say. There, there is on the, above the fold a story about a graffiti arrest that evokes reactions. Have you, have you heard this story in the news? There's, there's been somebody, and, and a woman has turned herself in. Uh, and we believe, not sure yet, but believe she might be the person who has been um, defacing several different places around the city, writing some pretty hateful speech and slogans and all that kind of stuff. We don't know exactly if she's done this or not, and, and I don't want to go too far down the road and have you think that I'm trying to somehow profile her, but let's say this. There are people who are so afraid of what is happening or what's coming. There are people so afraid of what is and what's coming that they fight, they fight to return us to the past. Maybe this is that person. Maybe this is that person who is so afraid of the changes that she can see around her that she's going to do whatever she can do to do her part to keep us looking backward. Now, there is also above the fold on this very same front page another headline that reads, Church Revives Vintage Bus. And that's interesting, right? Because perhaps you have somebody here who wants to make sure that we go backwards to the past. And yet, it is possible to honor one's past and recognize how it shapes us for the future. And so there's this really cool story about this really cool church that has some really cool people who are old enough to make letter jackets. Really cool, Ron, by the way. Really, really cool. Some... But, but I think it's exactly what's happening with that bus. I, I remember driving up on this bus out there in, in, in Waterloo, right? It's, it was, the bus was abandoned in an abandoned field. <laughs> but there were several folks who were able to see that God could continue to be the God of newness with an old bus, and that we could perhaps build on an old story and write new chapters to God's glory. Uh, point of clarification here, if you open up and you see on the second page, in the second page you actually have a picture there of Lee Nichols and, and Ron there, but there is a headline up here that says, man accused of dismembering girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things. Um, that is not our story, right? I, I am certain that neither Ron nor uh, Lee Nichols have dismembered a girlfriend. Um, so please don't be confused by that. It's already happened once. 
Man, I want you to read this story. Because I, I, I think this story helps us to understand what's going on in the heartache of God in Isaiah 43. What happened is great. What was is fine. So long as you understand, so long as you understand that it's really more about the God behind it all. And the God behind it all wants to do something new, perhaps using the raw materials of the past. But I'm telling you, God wants to do something new, new. Life and I found laughter in forgiveness. I found rest on the shoulders of redemption. I found hope when hope was dead. My eyes are open, my heart is beating, my lungs are falling, my body's breathing. I'm moving forward. I found my freedom. I found the life that gave me reason to live. sweet little lady there. Her name is Doris Blankenship. And you may remember some of these stories that we've told, we've tried to tell time and again. Clifford Ray, or C. Ray, is the guy who started that whole straight shooters ministry in the back of his pickup truck. And it was in the back of that pickup truck that he picked up Ron Wheeler, Lawrence Wheeler, and brought him to church and got him all baptized. And we continue to celebrate that. Well, Clifford Ray had a daughter named Doris who now is named Doris Blankenship. And so we were able to bring Doris to the church that day so that she could see not only the bus, but the new plate that we put on the back of that bus that says C. Ray. So fun, so good. Not because we are limited to that bus's past but because we are unlimited because of God's future. Maybe this is what Paul meant, right? Here is, and I'm about done, so I want you to hear a pretty good chunk of scripture that I'm gonna read for you. And that's how it's gonna end. Paul says, okay, you want to orient to a past that you're proud of? Listen to this, says Paul. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ, says Paul, and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And please keep in mind, the heaven is not somewhere else, sometime else. It is that, but I'm afraid we're going to miss if we don't recognize your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how's Lent going? The other way to ask that is, what is it that God is preparing you for? What is God preparing for you, for us? How is God shaping us for what's next? If you're helping us to serve today, please come. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with us, God, help us to, in the best sorts of ways, remember. Most importantly, God, help us to remember you. Help us to remember you. And God, give us just enough courage, or at least another bite's worth, another sip's worth of courage so that we can make ourselves available to what it is that you want to do in and through us as we are your people who are learning to live in the light of the resurrection. Give us this deep sense, God, that we are in process, that you are slowly but surely fashioning a person, fashioning a people who can more faithfully live out the victory of the resurrection. If you are visiting with us today, we take communion every week around here. We take it every week by intention, which means this. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I will ask you to move out of your pew to the left and then to come forward. And you'll come forward and approach someone who is holding a plate of bread. Our young are helping us to serve communion today. As you approach someone who, hold, who is holding a, a piece of bread, please have your hands cupped. Ready? There's no other way to receive this bread. It is a gift. And as you approach the person holding a plate of bread, that person will snap off a piece, press it into your hands, and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Now, are we in that moment referencing a memory, a story? Yes, we are. Most importantly, we are referencing the one behind that story. And our hope is that we can be shaped by this sacramental moment for what it is that God has for us, each of us and all of us, to do and to be next. You won't eat that piece of bread just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will look at you and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then, and then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Now you can go to one of these side padded altars. If you do, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil, representative of the clinging spirit that travels with you. And if you need a prayer for some sort of physical, mental, emotional, familial, relational wound, 
someone will meet you there and pray that prayer. If you want to come to one of these front mourner's benches, we won't assume a thing, but somebody at some point will come and touch you on the back, the head, the neck, because it's important that you recognize that you are not alone. You're not alone. Now you can circle right back around and go right back to your seat, but if you do that, I do hope that you will pray. It's an important moment for us to ask God, God, are you preparing me for something? The answer is yes. What is it that you are preparing me for? If you would like, you can make a special trip up here to this bowl of water that is meant to jog your memory, to jolt you into the memory of your baptism when you are in so many important ways included, swept up in the story of God and God's people, people with a mission. Just touch this water and may that jolt your memory of the moment of your baptism Perhaps you're visiting and you're wondering, well, who's eligible to come? It's Nazarene Church, and I don't know much about Nazarenes. Well, here's the thing about us Nazarenes. All who recognize their need for grace, each and every one of us, no matter how bad your morning was, (laughs) no matter how bad your week or month or year have been, if you recognize your need for grace, this is the right place for you, and you are welcome at this table. And if you can't come to us, Jason and Katie, I promise they will find you. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. After dinner, he took the cup, held it up before them, and he said, and this is my blood shed for you. And every time you eat and every time you drink, remember me. And if you would, get a good look at this picture. This one here. This is the perfect posture of God. Who can even take the dark black marks here and in God's hands, life springs. So that's what we're doing today. All across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.